You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. Excuse me. Could you uh, get a little in the corner there, get a little cleaner and... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, brighten the corners and lay my clothes out for the evening, please, uh, on my bed. Okay, no permanent press this time, okay? Sorry. For audio listeners, Mickey seems to be speaking to someone who's off camera in his apartment. I've, I'm following Justin Walfer's uh, directive to hire more personal servants because my time is so valuable. I need to hire more servants to boss around. So is it ju- is it Justin Wolfer or Wolper? Four F with an F. He's the economist. He's an economist who's currently he and Paul Krugman are leading a petition to defenestrate this economist at the University of Chicago right. who runs a big economic journal. Uh, and uh, unlike the law, where there are hundreds of journals, so anybody can get published, and there are apparently only a few economic journals, so if you edit one of these, you're sort of at a choke point for people's careers. And they've obviously had it in for this guy for years, and they're using yeah. this this BLM woke moment as a as a way to, yeah. uh, as his an name, opportunity. His name starts with a U, right? It's Ulrich or something? Uh, is it? Ulrich, I think, but I may be wrong. Um, the Chicago guy. And yeah. I just think it's weird for Krugman and Wolfers to start, uh, c- trying to cancel this guy because one day they're going to be canceled. I mean, I don't, I, I have no, I have no well, reason you to know, think. Exactly. I mean, I was going to ask you how the Cultural Revolution is treating you, Mickey, because I would expect you to be one of the... I mean, the thing about you is, will you be one of the first whose frog marched to the public square and forced to renounce your thought crimes, or are you so beyond the pale that they're not? They're just, like, assuming your, your history anyway? They're starting to the left of Why? you, in which case I should worry? Uh, um, uh, well, you should definitely worry. I mean, you know, moral animal... Moral Animal has some very shh, retrograde shh, Mickey, views Mickey, Mickey, about Mickey, I have no recollection of that book. Who wrote that? Was is that a Steve Pinker book? I think it is. The uh, Matt Ridley, maybe. Anyway, the uh, now Matt. Now there's a guy who is who is pretty far right these days. I like Matt. I love Matt. I I've but, always I've always assumed that I'm non-cancelable because I'm not employed by anybody. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't have advertisers. I don't make any money. Nobody can, but, uh, and also I'm a small fry, so I'm not worth canceling. So the effort they, they would have to make to cancel uh, me Mickey, isn't worth, but Mickey, in the actual cultural revolution, I think how many people were tens of millions of people were worth canceling, right? And no small number I, worth killing. I, Keep I that in that, mind. I guess that's right. I, I mean, Twitter could cancel me. So as long as as long as you depend on tweets, you're at the mercy of Twitter. But there are alternatives to that, and uh, I think I think the UN would have to take over the entire internet to completely cancel everybody. The UN doesn't uh, cancel people. You have nothing to fear from our I'm one world as, overlords. I'm being as paranoid as you are. Oh, you're I'm not par- paranoid, but it's an amazing you're moment. You're totally paranoid. This is you're an amazing moment. You're paranoid about Trump. You're paranoid about Trump. Oh, I'm paranoid. I thought you meant paranoid about getting caught up in the Cultural Revolution. No. No, okay. I think uh, I think I've got you as assuming they don't start to your left, then I can use you as a canary in the coal mine. Yeah, you don't have to outrun them, you just have to outrun me. Exactly. <laughs> <Okay>. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm and staying to your left is not exactly a big challenge. 
So I don't um, know. There's some movement there, Bob. Yeah. But this is amazing. This is an what are we going to call this? Is it so Ross Douthat had a column uh, w- he call- when he ran through the names. I like the Great Awakening, a reference to the Great Awakening, which you may or may not be sufficiently historically literate to fill us in on, Mickey. I'm not. It has something to do with Christianity. Yes, and in fact, it was le- probably the leading Good figure, guess. Jonathan Edwards. Let me just add, Jonathan right. Edwards, probably the leading figure in the Great Awakening. Uh, author of the famous sermon "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," which would reward it would reward all of us to read that uh, when we've been bad. But uh, Bobby, he's buried. Wait, 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 wait! You just canceled t- yourself right there. You're recommending fucking Jonathan Edwards. Well, I am and I'm not. I mean, he did get, you know, but just a little footnote. You know what did him in? uh, An epidemic. He's buried two miles from where I sit right now. And you know what? It wasn't the epidemic per se, Mickey. It was the vaccine. He he was one of the first people to try the smallpox vaccine. Didn't go well. Anyway, um, that enough about that. The, 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 The name Ross seem to prefer just seems completely terrible to me i wrote it down here oh quote the successor ideology which was which some guy a tablet came up with uh no it's not a great it's not a great uh a great name but it 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 implies something which is uh you know that the the traditional liberalism of the new york times is being supplanted by something new right uh and 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 as yet not totally defined Right, and it's not it, right. It's not just a a burst of wokeness. It was, you know, I don't know. It's it's so it's it's more of an ideology than just people getting woke. But I like the Great Awakening. I like I, I, I like too. I like the title of Megan Dam's book, or what should have been the title, which was "Woke Me When It's Over." What was the title? The title is the problem with everything, which is. I'd go with "Woke Me When It's Over." But you're, "Woke you're, Me When It's Over" is a great title. And as usual, your marketing instincts are unerring. No, it's because the people at the publishing houses are too woke to use a great title like "Woke Me When It's Over." Oh, she, I see. She, you can't. They were afraid of blowback. You can't yeah. get anything published in New York because it's all run by woke millennials. That's the problem. Actually, as not. It's saw, run. It's run saw, by people who fear woke millennials. Right. Okay. I. It's weird. I. This is one of the issues I wanted to discuss, which is. A, a question I raise on my newsletter, which has about a fifth of s- subscribers as your newsletter, Bob. Uh, plug your newsletter, Mickey. No, it's called Cows Files on Substack. But, um, uh, now plug why? Mine. Well, sorry. Now plug mine. Yours is called. We're friends. N- it's non-zero, mine's called non-zero. Non-zero on Substack, yes. Um, anyway, uh, uh, the, why have millennials succeeded? Uh, in changing the culture of the workplace where boomers who wanted to do that have failed. And one of the... Wait, what did the, we want to do? What, what was our aspiration? Well, the idea was that women in power are going to be more compassionate and less macho and we were more egalitarian and we were going to eliminate racism in the workplace. Well, there are a lot more, more women in the workplace. More egalitarian pay scales and instead we became hedge funders. I mean... Okay, but things have changed. Things have changed in the workplace. It yeah. is much less hierarchical. I mean, I had like a drill sergeant boss at one point when I was in my 20s. He was literally a former Marine, former Time Magazine guy, used to just scream at me, just abuse me verbally. Right. Th- this He was an extreme case even then, but he wasn't 
it wasn't beyond the pale that that would happen. Now it's always like, can we talk about, you know, it's, it's much and less he, overtly hierarchical and, for and whatever that reason. Happened, that happened for ideological reasons or it predates the web because part of it could be the web eliminating middle managers. Well, and it could and, be, you know, things like um, workers increasingly uh, find it increasingly easy to communicate with one another. I mean, most of this happened before right. Slack, but Slack right. is an extreme. Slack is clearly a weapon of mass destruction. How American capitalism let that thing out of the box, I don't know. I mean, really, why would any firm have Slack? Slack is a recipe for self-destruction. It's a recipe for mutiny, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, what do I know? I've never even been on Slack. I have just faced... People who were on it. Yeah. Anyway, the, so the two obvious explanations, we, and one of them you hinted at, I, I sort of, I screw around sort of, sort of, uh, inconclusively on my newsletter with various explanations, but the two obvious ones are, uh, uh, boomers, boomers have to try to face down the greatest generation, your drill sergeant guy, and the millennials only have to face down the wimpy boomers who were pushovers compared to your drill sergeant guys. So that's number one. Number two is, of course, the gatekeepers can't keep the gates anymore because of the web and the internet. And, you know, if the, if, if, if the insurgent mutineers are first, they can communicate with each other, but also if they're frustrated, they, they can go around your drill sergeant boss and create panic in the outer world and, and gin up a campaign against you. And I had called this, I had called this when I thought it was only going to be you know, Harvey Weinstein and, and Epstein went down. I, I, I'd call it the twilight of the schmucks because you can't be a schmucky boss anymore. If you're a now schmucky that's boss, a, that's a not bad book title. Don't if you it, it, right. it, it's, it's not as good as woke me when it's over, but it's okay. Uh, twi anyway, the twi the, I, got in I got in trouble for putting the word schmucks on the, on the, on the cover of New Republic when I was acting editor. Because by the way. you didn't realize it meant penis. I didn't either. No, but hey, well, it doesn't mean penis <laughs> in English, Mickey. You look up the English definition. The word penis is part of the Yiddish etymology. Well, this, the New Republic is an English language magazine. I mean, I took full account of Marty's, let's say, emphasis on the welfare of Israel, but it was an English language magazine and I did not think I deserved the blowback I got from him from putting Frank Rich on Hollywood schmucks at the top of the no, magazine. He, really? He gave you grief for that? A little. Yeah, yeah a little. Uh, yeah, he called me. I mean, no, you know, he, but he wasn't me. that bad. And Leon. Oh, never mind. The, uh, <laughs> the virtue of Marty Parrott is you never have to worry that he's secretly angry at you. No, he's if, a, in if, many if he's ways. A, if he's angry at you, you will know about you will it. Know. If you don't know about it, you're fine. And he, he took the passive out of passive aggressive. <laughs> the, uh, as opposed to a boss like Kay Graham, who was very reluctant to criticize her inferiors, so they lived in constant terror that she was secretly mad at them. It was uh, it was a much worse situation than a boss who just lets it out right away. Right. Anyway, so, so should the, we should we just so flesh those out? Are the, those are the two. Reasons why the millennials are so successful and we boomers failed, I think. But I think a, a couple of things. I think we should maybe just establish the magnitude of what we're talking about here. Um, I mean, among the things that have happened uh, in various realms as a result of the protests are, okay, HBO Max took uh, Gone with the Wind off. Um, the, the, the TV show Cops 
has been canceled, which is interesting because when I used to watch cops, half the time I'd empathize with the criminals. But anyway, uh, because it, it'd be like these guys, they had a broken taillight and the cops stop them. And they've got drugs. They were like victimless crimes half the time. Anyway, uh, it, it, it's interesting to me that that show has been canceled. Merriam-Webster is apparently going to change its definition of racism to make the systemic aspect of racism part of the actual definition so that there will be no such thing as non-systemic racism if this if what i read on twitter is true which of course it's usually not but anyway nascar is not going to let uh confederate flags uh uh in in nascar you know stadiums and nascar events um they're no longer going to refer to the two uh, two disc drives as master and slave um (laughs) Hey, Mickey, Mickey, this is the kind of thing that makes you the first victim of the cultural revolution is when you start laughing at things like this. I'm taking it very seriously. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I actually am. I, I am. I do not purport to know what it's like to not be white. So I am I am just listing these things without comment. Um, uh, Microsoft. Microsoft, IBM, and Amazon are doing something or other with their facial recognition technology because it apparently is ethnically biased. Um, there's just a, a ton of – this guy uh, – did you see this guy who worked at some small data analysis firm? And on yeah, Twitter, that was a, he, pretty, that was a he, pretty horrible example. He accurately characterized the results of a study by, by uh, a political scientist at Princeton who himself identifies as black – and, and who would have – he would have no complaints about what the guy said about his study. This was a study that Ross Douthat uh, cited, I think, in, a, in an earlier column about why riots can be counterproductive. It was data about how uh, uh, protests that do and don't turn violent have different political implications and the ones that don't turn violent are better for Democrats. May or may not be right, but this, this, poor, this poor guy, uh, you know, just accurately characterizes it. And then, uh, and then some guy who I guess is, uh, is, I think is black, but in any event, um, come, chimes in on Twitter and complains that it's somehow racially insensitive and, and says, um, hey, and then at that point, he, he name checks the guy's boss, which supposedly you're not supposed to do, right? That's bad form. And he says, I've and gotten he, in and, trouble for it. And he just tweets to the boss, come for your boy. Meaning the guy he's yeah. criticized, and the boss duly fires the guy. It was, I mean, this is unless there's something I don't understand about this story. This this is is uh, the most alarming thing was, I've heard. It was pretty. It's pretty bad. I think the secret there is it's a democratic consulting firm that depends ah. on the goodwill of. They make their money from democratic campaigns, so they're ultra sensitive for something that might give a campaign a reason not okay. to be associated with them or to hire their competitor over them. So they're, 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 they're just totally skittish and crazy. That doesn't justify, but now it makes no. sense as, 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 as to what the uh, motivation was. But, um, uh, yeah, you're, you're leaving off James Bennett, Bob. Well, James Bennett, can we now, I mean, so when we spoke last week, he had, we referred to the controversy oh, right. surrounding him, uh, but he had not been fired. And, and and that happened on Sunday. Can we now refer to him as the first victim of? Uh, no, we're not using the term cultural revolution. We'll Steve that leave that to Steve Bannon, who, by the way, actually had his indicted billionaire patron Miles Guo, who who 
who's trying to avoid extradition to China, um, on to explain how this is exactly like the actual Chinese revolution. He had him on his podcast. Well, he know. But we're not using that term. But if we were, would we say that James Bennett is the first victim of the Cultural Revolution? Um, probably not, but he's the, uh, he's the most prominent victim of this wave of the revolution. I think he. Well, that's what I mean. If we were calling this technically, thing. Technically, he quit and was not fired. I'm, I'm. Oh, I forgot. He I, resigned. Uh, he, he wants to spend I, uh, more time with his, his yes. I, 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 I claim to that distinction. <laughs> because you because you've been resigned several times. <laughs> no, the last one I I did quit, but um, but it's a, it's it, there is a distinction. They let him they let him say face, and if, you know if we don't know what their internal discussions were, for all for all we know, you know, he he saw the writing on the wall and quit before they fired him. Why would you do that? I mean, I don't even understand why people insist on calling it resignation. I because every time you every every person who has said, except for Jack Schaefer, who was laid off and made no bones about it and landed up on his feet, landed on his feet. Everybody who says, "I'm not going to lie, I was fired," they all end up worse. Somehow the stigma sticks to it. It, it it's one of those words that depletes your serotonin as soon as you say it. I was fired. You immediately think less of yourself. It. It just never pays to say I was fired. Unless you're Jack Schaefer. Gabriel but he, Snyder. But he wasn't even fired. Do you know Gabriel, who Gabriel Snyder is? He did that. He said I was fired. He did that. Jo- From Gawker and, lay, and, then was, and then got a job as, as editor of Atlantic's The Wired and then got a job as editor of The New Republic. Um, so there. And where is he now? Um, he got fired again. But uh, he <laughs> he, he has surfaced recently writing something incredibly woke and disturbing. Well, I hope I'm, we um, shouldn't get there's two Gabriels. I don't want to I don't I don't want to mix anyway, them up. The um uh Jonathan. But, but, the, anyway, but what is going on? What what is? I mean, th- I I think this is really big. And, and successor ideology is a good term in the sense that I don't totally understand exactly. I mean, I have. It, Directions I'd like to see it head that are different in some ways from the direction it's headed in so far, and I can talk about those. But what do you like? Don't you agree this is like big and could be some kind of crossroads thing? I yeah, I agree. It depends if it, do, do the vast bulk of millennials uh, actually believe this, or only a small vanguard of noisy. Uh, intellectuals. That's what I haven't figured. And they have managed to intimidate corporate America. And there is the, uh, this phenomenon, which is one of the, probably the third reason driving it, which is that, you know, woke pays, woke makes money. If you, uh, if you, if you're a polarized, you know, pro BLM person, apparently corporate America has decided that's how they're going to make money. And then, so then the question is, will this, are we really, if this thing really takes over mainstream institutions, will we see, Sort of a, a an underground of conservative institutions, like this hat. I, this hat I was wearing earlier is the yeah. Let me see that. Is that it's it's the hat of gab.com. What is gab.com? Gab.com is that's pathetic. They're the alternative to Twitter. They're the free speech. Oh alternative yeah, yeah, yeah. To Twitter. Well, but what is um, the slogan on the hat? What does it say? It says make speech free again. Oh, but uh, the um, I'll even put on the hat. But uh, the uh, so. You know, I, it, 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 I, I had this vision midweek that the only, the, the only people telling the truth, you know, once, 
you know, opinions in the New York Times are censored, and then certain stories are undercovered because they're politically incorrect, and then maybe even facts are suppressed because they're politically incorrect, and maybe in facts are misreported, as they in fact were in the New York Times last week, uh, because they're politically incorrect. Who's left telling the truth? It's it's bloggers like Michael Tracy who are, uh, you know, conceptually sitting at home in their pajamas, and they can't be canceled. So they form sort of this new samizdat, uh, passing around uh, things that are, if if they're if they're principled, that are honest, uh, honest reporting. Uh, when the mainstream media is is has abandoned that, and that's one vision of the future. I think that's sort of a little exaggerated. Uh, I, but it's it's hard. Unlike the riots, which I think are turning out not to be as big a deal as. Well, we there is were. there is the People's I Republic this, of Seattle. I, there is I think, there is I a. Think, I think this is a. It is hard to see how this ends anytime soon. Well, I mean the 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 what you're calling the riots that seems to have pretty much ended, but there are these residues like this part of Seattle that is now according to now I sh- I know I shouldn't even listen to this Steve Bannon podcast cuz who knows what's true and what's not according to him there are people with guns in that part of Seattle including a guy with an AK47 who are so it's an it's like an armed resistance as he is It's as very he, hard it's very hard for for to tell if you look at the daytime pictures it looks like people's park it looks relatively Countercultural, and it's not going to last, but it looks like fun. And uh, and then I have seen videos of this guy running around, uh, beating people up, you know, attacking people. Uh, this attacking this, people inside the. Yeah, I assume it was inside. Uh, you know, at the end, there's a video clip on my side. At the end of the clip, he 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 assaults the guy. He's just, he's uh, the guy with the AK-47. He's the rapper, yeah, the Trump attack by name in a tweet. What's his uh, name? So, What's his name? Bass, I think. I don't know. Mm. He's a, uh, anyway, he, um, uh, who knows if he's representative? Does this just happen at night? I know that I noticed the Spectator USA, which is a not a sympathetic publication, sent a correspondent. <laughs> no, that's safe to say, yes. Sent a correspondent there and he didn't come up with much. Okay. He, he, so, uh, there, there's a lot of, you know, the police chief of Seattle was saying this is a, there are rapes and assaults happening and we can't go in because their precinct was abandoned. And now she's saying no. And people, businesses were being extorted. They've retracted the businesses being extorted. They've, uh, but if, uh, but if the police chief, she, the police chief says she doesn't know how this precinct house was surrendered. But if so she's she calling it pernicious, doesn't, doesn't she have to kind of go in and clear it out? I mean, you can't. Well, I, I think she's sort of inching toward that, but the mayor denies it's per- pernicious at all. So the mayor mm. is her boss. So if the mayor says don't do it, obviously that's, if you were mayor, you might say, let it collapse of its own weight, right? It would depend on what was going on in there and so on, but it, but I'm sure, presumably it's a Democratic mayor, right? And I'm sure Trump will try to make hay out of it, and that's one, well, she's Downside. trying to make, she's trying to make hay of the anti-Trump aspect. Anyway, th- yes, but I think um, the 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 whole movement is certainly less frightening. I was frightened by the violence. It's certainly less frightening than it was last week, and it's. I think it's also even with the nonviolence, it's less big a deal than it was last week. It's being co-opted by various reform plans, which I think are probably a good thing for police procedures. I th- I don't think there's a huge support for defunding the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I, I don't. I'm no, not in fact, sh- some data some data came out on that today. The the uh, among blacks, twenty nine percent support, forty nine percent oppose, and with whites, it's an even yeah. bigger uh, so, margin. So this is one of one of one one of the two criticisms I had of your very good essay in. Oh, you you read it? Non zero, uh, and my friends read it. That was what was shocking. Is that right? Yeah, it got some play, and and it got some. It was. And it, and it got some Facebook play, which is good because yeah. it means readers of the newsletter are putting it on Facebook yeah. Yeah. because we don't do that. We just use yeah. Twitter. Anyway, to first, uh, you had this vision that Trump, a paranoid vision, I think, but not implausible, that Trump, once he got control, you know, would use, would f- somehow foster a civil war or civil unrest. And somehow, if he got control of the National Guard, there's an authoritarian threat there. And there just isn't the civil unrest to justify that, and he isn't fanning it. He's just taking pot shots at, at this rapper well, in Seattle. So uh, it's it's just not happening. Well, your to be paranoid clear, vision, your paranoid vision is not happening. Hasn't happened yet. To be clear, and I and I don't know how much of this I said to you. I was writing it as I talked to you last week, and and uh, I, I'm pro- it probably benefited from uh, your 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 pushback. But um, what I said at the time, and I wrote it at kind of the height of the thing. I mean, you know, it's easy to say now this whole thing is passed. What I said was there are several alarming signs of actual violent conflict between groups of Trump supporters and groups of Trump opponents. And there were there there, there was a, I linked to a couple. There were more than that. And what I said was if the unrest moves to that level. You know, groups of Trump supporters versus groups of, uh, of opponents, they are armed as these groups were. Um, and you, and you start getting that and it gets contagious. It's at that point that Trump will invoke the Insurrection Act, will send troops nationwide. They will report to him. And that's when you have to worry because, uh, he has demonstrated that he'll let his troops get away with anything. I mean, he let this crazy Edward Gallagher Navy SEAL killer uh off um and we saw how the park police who report to him uh behaved with reckless abandon uh and and uh, at least in 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 one very well documented case um so that was the argument uh, and and you're right it's on hold for the time being but honestly and and look I hope we get to the election without the viol- without violence at that level but I don't think you can you can count on it I think it's a real it's a real threat we, the, the, I have three arguments against it. Uh, one is he's never defied a court order. He's never said justice. I'm not saying he would. He's never said justice so and so has issued his, well, that was the fear when we were, he was running for office. Everybody said Trump is different. If the Supreme Court tells him to do something, he won't obey it. He's been totally obedient. Yeah, but that's not my okay. scenario. I distanced uh, myself from the conventional fear of no, Trump authoritarianism if, 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 scenario. No, because if what you say happens, there will at some point, and he gets out of line, there will be a court order getting no, him back no, in th- line. This is key, Mickey. This is key. If there is enough of a sense of threat, whether it's threat of domestic instability or foreign attack, the Supreme Court may do anything. Ask the Japanese Americans who were locked up during World War II. If the sense of threat is extreme enough, you can kiss your civil liberties goodbye, and America has shown that. And it's true. It's, it's true in any country. That's true, but this is not Pearl Harbor. Not yet. That's my point. But if there's actual civil war, well, okay, 
And, and, and the well, thing about the Trump era is it's no longer crazy to think that there's at least a 2% chance that you could have that kind of unrest. It, it, we, one can always concoct the scenario that ends in, in civil war and de- deprivation you of rights. You couldn't possibly yet, do it 10, 20, 30 years it, ago. It's more plausible than it was before. Of course, they okay. made movies about it. What about the siege? Uh, they, uh, uh, done by one of Marty's, uh, proteges, I believe. Uh, so, uh, the, um, I've, anyway, it's, um, yes, it's moved from 0.1% to 1% probability. Fine. The second thing is Trump evinces, you have this sort of easy formulation where Trump isn't the, before Trump wasn't the fascist because he's incompetent, but, uh, but the, the the impulses there, and no, the reason Trump wasn't fascist wasn't just because he was incompetent. It's because he has never evinced the desire to follow through on this impulse. In other words, he talks a lot about, I'm going to take over this state, I'm going to take over that state. He never actually takes over the state, as Ross Douthat wrote in the column. He's like a guy who talks about sex all the time, but doesn't really want to have sex. It's not he's too incompetent to have sex. He lacks the oh, I don't desire. see that. I have a different okay. interpretation. I, I'm agnostic on whether he really wants to realize the aspiration. But what's clear to me is that he lacks the discipline and planning, you know, and, and self-control. Well, that too, vision I, to do it. Because what you're right that he keeps saying he'll do it, and then not. That's because every day he gets seized by a different impulse. I mean, the the unifying theme is he wants attention, but the thing that will get him attention changes from day to day, and he does whatever it is. So he can't pursue any plan coherently. So so even if he was scheming to take over the country, that wouldn't work. It's going to have to kind of come to him in the sense of civil unrest that triggers his, his kind of authoritarian instinct, and then it gets worse and worse and but worse. He, he doesn't have the. Des- it's not that he does. He has the. He has no desire to follow through on these transitory Twitter impulses. It's not that, it's not just that he doesn't have the planning. I agree. He, he's not Cyrus. He's not going to be, he's not competent enough to be dictator of the world, but he doesn't have, even have the, the desire to follow through on tweets proclaiming he's going to be dictator of the world. Okay. Uh, so that's your, that, that's your take. That's, those we are can, my we can link to the piece. Uh, the name, if people want to Google it was, oh, the true Trump nightmare is, finally upon us <laughs> slightly melodramatic but you got it you know you, it's tough to sell free newsletters you know gotta uh, get sensationalistic every once in a while um so so you know th- we shouldn't pass over this great awakening too lightly mickey this is big you, I, what i want you to tell me and by the way you know this is not the first time right like th- i think the scale is larger but you know after the riots of the 60s starting with the watts riots uh, a number of norms changed. I mean, the NAACP had been pushing CBS for years to quit running reruns of Amos and Andy. Have you ever seen it? Do you remember Amos and Andy? The, the, the show about two black guys that, that cast yes. them in very stereotypical fashion. Um, and, and, and I remember it from my childhood. I remember watching it in the early 60s, but then in 66, CBS quit distributing it in the wake of the unrest. Um, and, and there were and there were a bunch of changes in nomenclature. It, it was you the, the word Negro went out of that. People decided that was not right. It was black, and then for a while it was Afro American, 
which, by the way, had the virtue of being being something you say faster than you can say African-American, saved a couple of syllables. I'm not saying we should return to the past, the days of yore, when we use the term Afro-American. But um, anyway, there were, there were changes, um, you know, along a number of fronts. So, so there's precedent for this, but I don't totally understand what motivates this degree of, like, rapid compliance, right? Like... Um, well, like, I mean, I, I guess they just all want to get ahead of the curve, right? Like, I guess Paramount thinks they're going to start protesting us. Uh, they're going to start picketing us for running cops. Or they're going to start, uh, you know, trying right. to shame make us it, on social get media. It out, get it out of the way. Make it a one day story. That's the stand. That's why. Uh, but I don't think know. people have started complaining yet. I mean, I, I that's what I mean. So much of this seems preemptive. You know, it, no, Hollywood is pretty woke. Uh, yeah, but, so but I just listed intri- everything from tech these companies in- to dictionaries. Right, right. You know, right. but but we were talking about Paramount. But yes, um, uh, no, they 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 have they have PR departments, and the PR departments say, "Let's get this behind us. Let's be have a preemptive strike." And we have the we have the uh, the precedent of the Me Too movement, and this is just sort of an Me Too too. It's a it's a see. It, I don't it is see unprecedented. It the, the widespread defenestration of of people in power did not happen in the 60s, I don't think. It's interesting that you connected to Me Too so closely. I I guess Me Too is kind of a forerunner, but I mean, my take on Me Too is, um, the, you know, the change had to happen. The rules had to change. And it's it's kind of, it's maybe bad. Some, some people got maybe got caught up at least somewhat unfairly in the change. Um, I think quite not, a few not, people did. Well, yeah, no. I mean, look, it's like read Emily Offie's stories. Well, let's take an example we're both familiar with: Leon Weaseltier. We were with him at the New Republic. Um, he, you know, I, I honestly, I don't remember people complaining about in that. I, I remember a lot of complaints about Leon. Half of them came from me, but I mean, this particular kind of complaint, I don't really remember. Uh, but, but what I want to say is, if somebody had brought it to my attention or, or to anybody's attention, what is now, he's now alleged to have done, they would have said, well, what do you want me to do about it? And call the police? It just wasn't in those days, the behavior well, was not considered, it was considered creepy, whatever, he, you know, uh, you would raise eyebrows, but it wasn't. A, this is an uncomfortable topic for me, and if hitting on the interns was, is a crime, it's probably not one I should condemn. Well, uh, it depends on but, how uh, you hit, I guess. But, uh, but, um, so, uh, but, um, and this, the stuff that was talked about was not, I didn't see that when I was there. I certainly had. Well, that's what I mean. Uh, had, because it wasn't so exceptional. Uh, on the other hand, if, on the other hand, when you look at, at, at what the situation has been for women in the workplace, in, uh, in general, there's in been general, you know, the rules, the rule, I'm just, let me just finish. The rules had to change. It's too bad, um, that maybe, you know, that, 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 uh, some people didn't get due process. That is safe to say to be, uh, at a minimum. But life is hard. But I, I still, I'm not sure I see that as so continuous with this as you do. Well, I, I should say, I implied that there was some, even what came out later on, Leon was not, all that much, and he got a, a basically a bum deal, I think. Although, uh, 
he's landing on his feet out here, so don't worry about it. But uh, and Michelle Cottle's article on Leon is sort of, I thought, hit the right note. Well, it did, although but, it, so, it raised, well, maybe and, there's an answer had, to the question. That had a bunch but, of stuff that I didn't know about, but it wasn't that bad. It wasn't, um, and she said that. Well, so. yeah, and it was kind of, uh, I mean, one question raised by it was, wait a second, if she knew about all this stuff, why doesn't she get condemned? Whereas males who knew about it get condemned. But have males who knew, uh, were we condemned? I literally did not know. I didn't hear anything. I Uh, literally, there were things we heard about Leon, some of which have been reported in a great profile by Lloyd Grove, but it wasn't, I I didn't hear that there were women unhappy with him. I I didn't, I mean, you know. I didn't either, but, um, okay. uh, So, um, uh, um, a friend of ours told Leon, don't worry. I could have written a much nastier profile. And when I told this to Lloyd, he said, so could I. Hmm. <laughs> but um, it, it, there wasn't the, that's all just joking. Um, the, uh, uh, okay. So why you, do, you, why you, do you, you see it? You why see do you think it's, why do you think, why do you think it's discontinuous? I, I don't have a good reason. I just had kind of thought of me too as such a distinct, thing i mean there are things they have in common okay uh women uh, a number of women in the workplace and, and and specifically in journalism had long felt that they were in a bad spot because if when they were creepy powerful men uh they had to either like you know resist and pay a, a career price or, or or not resist or whatever it was a bad situation and um and I always thought one of the changes was technological that empowered them. I mean, remember, it started with a list that was kept on the web. Right. Shitty men in media. Women from all over could contribute to it. And that was the, the uh, played a big role in carrying this beyond kind of Harvey Weinstein. Um, you know, it also has to do with the fact that women had been entering the workplace. The, 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 at the times, at least, the reporters who broke the Harvey Weinstein story were women. Um, but all that's true, but why is that discontinuous from now? Well, what's your case for continuity? Just that it is, in some sense, identity politics, or what? Well, there are more minorities in the workplace now, and at the times, yeah. they are some of the people who are objecting, and they're technologically empowered, and, and they're employers of the schmucks, in the case of the Me Too's and the the uh, the unwoke editors, in the case of uh, journalism and academia, are uh, the their employers have a hair trigger and a financial incentive to get on the right side of history, or to get totally on the wrong side, but not to get caught in the middle. Yeah, it's interesting. So it's it's. Uh, it, I mean, it, I think, it, and I do think part of it's technological, as we said. Uh, I mean, it's just easier for, for employees to communicate, uh, with one another, um, and organize. And, and some of that happened. I mean, the, the, uh, the Tom Cotton editorial was circulated through these avenues. And I think that's related to the fact that, that workplaces have become less hierarchical and more kind of horizontal. Um, but, uh. 
Did you read the editor's note from the new editor, new, the new opinion editor of the New York Times? I read the first part, which I you, want to read, read, you have to now. read the last paragraph. It's it was it's the most mealy mouth corporate bullshit you've ever now, heard. She's the one who said. All, now this isn't the memo to the staff where she said if you have the slightest unease no, about anything we is, publish. This is a memo to that that is published that is linked at the top of every editorial on the web on this subject, and it ends with like. This is a valuable conversation to have in this era of polarization. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like complete nothing speak. She doesn't did, take sides. She'll go far. Did you read Ross Douthat's column? I mean, her 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 piece was in some ways as a, a preface to all the opinion pieces that right, were coming out about the it in the New York I read, Times op I, I, re- I read the reason I was late for this podcast because I speed read both Ross Douthat and Brett Stevens. And by the way, could I just, not that I'm the kind of engage in self-promotion, but if people who watch this on YouTube are wondering what life would be like if they, if they followed, if they subscribed to the right show podcast, the last podcast I did in between the two, this one with you and the previous one with you was with Ross Douthat. It's about his book mm-hmm. though. And it was taped before, uh, we're, before Bennett resigned. Um, yep. We're approaching Kara Swisher, Scott Galloway levels of self-advertising. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't come naturally to me, so I'm practicing. I want to get better at it. Um, uh-huh. the, 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 uh, wait, where were we? Oh, so I, Ross, uh, his argument, it, it's actually one that, uh, I claim had kind of been forming in my mind. I mean, he, he, well, what he calls attention to. I mean, if we just take the James Bennett case in isolation, leave aside the, 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 the larger great awakening. I think one thing that happened at the times is, I mean, you might ask, wait a section, a second. A lot of the, uh, objections to Bennett, a lot of the staff blowback didn't come from his subordinates on the opinion page. I mean, it's one thing to say a leader has lost the confidence of his or her subordinates and they don't like, and you gotta go, fine. But a lot of the blowback was coming from the news side, which is not in the, in his chain of command, so to speak. And you might say, well, what's the deal? But I think one thing that's happening, this comes out in Ross, Ross's column, is that these days news reporters at the New York Times increasingly think of themselves as opinion writers. They, 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 I mean, Ross distinguishes between uh, objectivity as an ideal and truth as an ideal. They, they and the, and his argument is now rather than strive to be objective, see both sides, blah blah blah. They think of themselves as possessed of the truth, and their job is to um, is to advance it. And, and well, I think, yeah. Well, that's fine. I mean, that's what opinion journalists have always thought. No, no, is, I, no, 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 no. I'm saying on the news side, that's now the attitude. That's my point. No, no, but I'm talking about people People who write for magazines of opinion. Yeah, but like the New the York New Times Republic. is not but, a magazine of opinion. It's, right, it's the New York Times. Right, we wrote for a magazine of opinion, and we thought it was a fine thing to do. So why sure. can't the New York Times just become a big magazine of opinion? And my point is, people who report for magazine of opinion think the two are not incompatible. They can report the truth and also advance their cause. And the problem is the New York Times is shitty at it. And advancing their cause invariably means maybe it's because of the, you know, the paper, the paper of first impression, uh, invariably means actually shading the truth. One of the, you know, the classic example of is when Trump called some immigrants animals. And it was pretty, it was clear from the context he was referring to, uh, MS 13 members. But Jonathan Weissman, the editor of the New York Times, said, don't overthink this. 
I've, you know, I, and they reported a bunch of stories saying, uh, that he was referring to, to generally to, to immigrants, which is not true. And more recently, the, 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 the all the articles about Tom Cotton's ad said he, he supported using the military to suppress protests. Okay. That was on the New York Times site for three days. And it's bullshit. He, he wanted to suppress looting, but he, you know, not, not as completely as he should, but it was completely clear that he did not want to use it to suppress protests. Yeah. And I, uh, and I think that is a function of anti-Trumpism. And although Ross alludes well, yeah, to Trump as a fact, yeah, but Ross, I think, I think downplays that more than it should be. He has a parenthetical sentence about the role of Trump, but before that, here, here's the sentence. Bound up with these goals is a growing newsroom assumption that greater diversity should actually lead to a more singular perspective on the news, a journalism of truth rather than objectivity, in which issues that involve black or gay or female or transgender or immigrant interests are covered less as complex debates and more as stories of good versus evil. Then in parentheses, he says, obviously, having Donald J. Trump as president, blah, blah, blah. Has, I would emphasize Trump more. I mean, it, in other words, Ross is making it essentially about identity politics. And it's true that this particular, you know, that is the big theme here. But I think as far as what he's talking about, the the, the changing way newspaper journalists think about their jobs, I think Trump has had a huge the, the Trump era has had a huge impact well, on Trump that. Well, Trump's hyped up everything. The, 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 the murder of George, of Floyd wouldn't have been such a big deal except for Trump. It was a vehicle for getting a Trump. So Trump has hyped up everything. But, uh. Well, Ferguson the, was pre-Trump, wasn't it? Right. This, and, right. And I Ferguson, think this is a big, this is a bigger deal than Ferguson. Well, yeah, but, but Mickey, this is, this is, uh, a much more clear-cut deal. I mean, once when the facts came True. out about Ferguson in the court in the trial with witnesses black and white, True. it became clear that it was not a hands up, don't shoot situation. And yeah. yet it went it went. I mean, it was at least more complex than that. I'm not saying it was justified, so, but it was much more complex yeah. than that. And and yet it just blew up. Yeah. But anyway, the um, uh, immigration has been covered as a good versus evil cause since long before Trump. It's I guess. It, is, it is it is it is it is it, it shifted. Many, many years ago. Uh, I don't know. I was just thinking about this after our last conversation because you were you were asking, why don't Democrats move a little to the right on immigration? And we were saying, well, you know, they're they're Look at their coalition, blah, blah, blah. And I remembered after we spoke this piece by Peter Beinert saying right out shortly after Trump was elected, saying Democrats needed to move a little on immigration. He got a huge amount of blowback and I think way more than he would have gotten before Trump was elected, I think Trump just well, Trump does have that effect, but uh, toxified a lot of the, stuff. Um, but I think we we, t- we talked about this last time, and it's it's made newly relevant by David Frum's book, which apparently says he calls for a new conservatism that involves a bunch of good social programs, uh, tightening the borders, and environmentalism, uh, which I support. I think it's a good idea. We talked about it last time, but. A, what's conservative about it? It sounds like liberalism plus tight borders, which I support. And uh, B, the Democrats aren't going to go for that because they see uh, continued mass immigration as their future. Rightly, rightly so. I, so but- that's the, the problem with from and the problem with, you know, why Beinart got so much shit is partly because maybe for reasons they don't quite understand or make explicit Democrats became totally committed to more immigration 
because they were told that 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 was the tide of history that was going to carry them to permanent dominance. That's the uh, the John Judas Rui Tashira thesis, kind of at least implicitly well, in, the, in, 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 in the Ron Brownstein coalition of the ascendant thesis, and it's 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 obviously true if you let in. Enough people from Latin America where there's a tradition of being way to the left of America, America's going to be way to the left of where it is now. I mean, that's, you know, maybe, maybe 30 in 30 years it'll change, but for now, that's what's going to happen. So obviously they're sort of right. Even, even though Judas has, has backed off that thesis. So Since what do you, what do you think is going to come of this? Like, you know, politically, it seems to me, I mean, you know, you add up all these things that I that I mentioned and things like them, like taking movies off of HBO and, and changing dictionary definitions and changing terminology and, and doing this and that. They're not nothing, and they, they may be very important as norm shifters, but in terms of actual policy... You know, ideological shift in the sense of policies that are championed by the Democratic Party, for example. Do you see much actually changing? I mean, the, the Democrats from the beginning were wisely backing off of the phrasing defund the police. Um, now, it's a good, good question. This, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, there, there's a, 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 there's, there is a meaning of defund the police that may, may kind of play out. In other words, we re, we look at things that maybe police shouldn't be doing with the homeless, with domestic disputes, with the mentally ill, have them do less, uh, uh, ban the chokehold and on and on. But, but, but in the end, that's not moment, that would not be as momentous as this moment feels. Yeah, the, right. And, 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 um, that brings up, the other issue where I don't quite know the answer to, and it's a very painful one for me, which is, uh, I was a, I was a proponent of welfare reform in, uh, the nineties, uh, which happened. And my argument was sort of a Marxist argument, which is there's a, uh, which Bill Clinton made after the 92 Rodney King riots, which is there's a culture of poverty and dependence and, it is, its material basis is welfare. That's how people who are in this culture of deposit poverty get by. And if you take away the welfare, uh, women are going to have to go into the workplace, which they did. Uh, but then women were going to value men who also went into the workplace, which happened to a lesser extent. There was, yeah, and it was going to have impact on marriage rates and, uh, was basically going to be a culturally transformative event, and we're not going to have those riots again, okay? So we passed welfare reform. About half the things you expected to have happen actually did happen. There was a huge influx of women into the workforce, less so with men. There was a, the, the rise of unwed childbearing. The percentage of children who were born outside of wedlock plateaued. It stopped rising, but you could argue it couldn't keep rising forever. It actually dipped by a percent and then kept rising again. But um, so uh, it had a mo- very mild impact on marriage, if any, a large impact on work by women. But yet it did not do any, it apparently did not stop the underlying anger uh, at racism and didn't stop racism 
uh, that is fueling a second round of Rodney King-like demonstrations. And I have to figure out why that is happening without betraying my basic Marxist take, which is change the material structure and you'll change the cultural superstructure. Do you, um, have, a, do you have a theory? Uh, I wrote a bunch of them down. One of the theories is it's not a big deal, not as big a deal as 92, although, you know, there's a horse race between those who say, like Clinton, you know, we need, okay, we're sick of these, this, this racism, this objection to race. So we really have to deal with it now. And those who take the Trump George Bush line, which is law and order, we just need to crack down. Obviously, if Trump addressed both, he would be in a much better position. But, you know, Jared Kirsch's idea of addressing both is to, to let a bunch of offenders out of prison, which isn't addressing the underlying issue. The second argument, first argument is it's not as big a deal. The second argument would be, this isn't as much a solely black movement as uh, as the ninety two riots were. Uh, this is a and everybody's remarked in this. There are a lot of young white guys involved, and so oh, yeah. I would argue. So I could argue this is a you know a a, a result of larger changes in society that have uh, first reduced the wages of workers. Although that, that was starting to improve under Trump pretty dramatically. But second, there are larger changes in society that make the future just unappealing to a whole group mm-hmm. of people, uh, including young whites. Uh, and, and if you believe, you know, we've talked about this before, if you believe uh, Mr. Krein of American Conservative, also to a lot of white professionals. Nobody sort of likes the way the future looks, okay? So so that, that could, th- those are... Two possible explanations. Neither is very satisfactory. The third explanation is just that, uh, you know, uh, even if welfare changed the culture a bit, blacks still do worse than whites and people are looking for reasons for it. And one obvious reason is racism. Uh, the, and it's true that there was this hack black expression called blacks are the last hired and the first fired that I was always sort of dismissed. It turns out to be completely true. If you look at, if you look at what happens in the, in the employment marketplace, if employers can hire immigrants, they're going to hire immigrants. They're not going to hire blacks. They're even going to, in some cases, fire the blacks to hire the immigrants. Okay. There's sort of a hierarchy of what employers do. And you really need a huge tight, hugely tight labor market to dramatically improve the economic prospects of black workers because they always get the short end of the stick. And is that because of racism or cultural stereotypes? I don't know, but it would piss me off if I were a black worker. So um, uh, the third is just that anytime there's a disparity, there's going to be a, a people are going to be pissed off at the disparity, even if the disparity is getting smaller, which it is. Well, I mean, I mean this is, I mean, I mean, I mentioned, you know, all the various kinds of things that are that are being pledged and done. One thing I didn't mention is that uh, various I guess it was Adidas that I don't know how big a presence they have in America, but but I'm sure they're not the only corporation that has said in the wake of this, we're going to increase our minority, the minority uh fraction of our workforce up to something like 30 percent, like black and Latino or something like that. Um, you know, pledges like that could 
make a difference. They are they're still not in the realm of uh, public policy, and uh, you know I I I, don't, I, I, I I didn't quite figure out why that was legal. I guess if you call it a goal and not a quarter, you get you get a pass. I don't know. Well, I, I don't know the court rulings on on affirmative action that have made it harder and harder to do. I think have applied mainly to government funded institutions like universities, right? I mean, to, but you this, can't say you couldn't say we're refer, we're, we're uh, allocating twenty percent of our jobs to whites. So why right. could you say it for blacks? I mean, it's clearly if well, it's it may explicit, just be the, the court has it's to get explicit. Ruled. It's racial discrimination. I don't know. I mean, one one thing I think is that this conversation could lead to more impetus for left of center and flat out left wing policy if um, the paradigm were not just identity politics and included like class based analysis. Right. I mean, this is a, a critique of some people and to some extent I buy it. I mean, if if, if you know. It, it it's uh, it may be challenging to come up with actual government policy proposals that seem to effectively address uh, ethnic disparities while steering clear of being voided by the courts and so on. But I mean, if you tax the hell out of rich people and use it to uh, enhance the welfare of lower income people, that will disproportionately help. Uh, black people and Latinos. And, and, but, but, but it seems to me there's very little focus on that right now because the paradigm is so o- overwhelmingly, um, one of identity politics. The tragedy is, the tragedy is that a tight labor market does most of this work organically in a way that nobody can deny. The employer wants work, so he has to overcome his racism and hire blacks. Uh, and, um, uh, and, it, you know, that was, that was all happening until the pandemic hit and then this hit. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's, it, it's as if history conspired against good things happening. Whether or not, you know, whether or not it was Trump's fault, I don't think it largely was, but, uh, it was certainly in, in part and, uh, it probably would have continued under President Biden. Uh, and it, so, uh, it, 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 it a, a lot of, you don't need a lot of, de, you know, de jury, government intervention if you have a tight labor market. I think that's an old left-wing oh, point. Okay, but I emphasize, I mean, it, it isn't, jobs isn't the only thing policy can address. I mean, for example, in New York, there are a number of reasons that minorities suffer disproportionately from the pandemic. One of them is that they have to use public transportation and the subways are a complete mess. And you've got, in Manhattan... You, you, you know, I mean, I, I ride the subways whenever I'm in New York. And as you know, it is fairly often the case that a subway pulls up and you're like, I don't know if I can physically fit on that thing. It, it's like sardines. And if you do fit on it, you know, they're talking about six, six feet now from people. If you do get I, on the subway, you'll have five people within two and a half feet of you. And I thought the mass, the mass, we've talked about this. The mass transit theory has taken some hits recently. By, uh, by what actual data? By well, Tokyo, it doesn't seem to be spreading. Uh, but Mickey, uh, there, there was everybody wears a mask and they don't talk. Exactly, do, and they, and Mickey, but they in do terms, cram in. Also, in terms of death rate, the U.S. has ten times the obes- obesity rate of Japan. There are also mm-hmm. issues in terms of how vulnerable their population is to actually dying from the disease. I think this is the actual spread of the disease, not dying. Anyway, there's I've I've. 
Okay, I've, but, um, but let me just say one more thing. I mean, Manhattan, you know, have you been to Manhattan lately? You've seen these skinny condo towers? Yeah. That are popping up everywhere just because yeah. of the way the air rights situation works. Yeah. And, and, and people, they got, I mean, first of all, do you agree that they don't look that great? But leaving that, leaving the aesthetics aside, people, they pay, look, the, the, the slivers or whatever yeah, they call the slivers, them. The slivers. Some of them look good. Some of them don't. I, they, they all, they look very precarious and I wouldn't want to be anywhere near them. I'd be fine with me if they toppled and, and killed. <laughs> I'm kidding, <laughs> but they're full of these ridiculously rich people. Uh, probably a third of the money that that pays for the condos is has some connection to money money laundering. In any event, I just say tax the hell out of them. Put put a put a huge sales tax on really expensive condos. I mean, Manhattan is full of super rich people, and they don't they don't they don't use the subways, and the subways are a complete disaster. And, and and there are all kinds of things like that, infrastructure things. And by the way, infrastructure projects create jobs. I'm just saying if 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 the you know I would encourage my woke brethren to just think about like old fashioned tax the rich help lower income people policy. It's like use this moment to do something that that will will be more enduring than uh you know I don't th- I don't think you'll get much of an argument the argument will start when uh when you talk about using it to give no whole, no strings attached cash welfare, which as you know has had a huge resurgence. Well, you'll argue f- with it, but I, I don't, I'm Are not even talking about that? that. What? I was in, I was in favor of that during the pandemic because the government, the government was telling people you can't work. So we can't expect people to work. If the government tells you you can work, they should just give people a guaranteed income and say, come back in three or four months. Sure. That's fine. That would have been simpler than what they did. No, but, my uh, only problem with it was that uh, it, once, it went once to people work, everybody has to, everybody should have to work, I think. Um I realize I'm on the losing side of this argument, but I Well, I, 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 I mean if jobs exist, <clears throat> but the other but problem, the jobs don't exist, the government should provide the jobs. Well, now you're getting closer to yes, we're getting closer to agreement. The government should do something, but it isn't just a matter of whether you have a job or not. It's like what do they pay? You know, I mean uh, I don't. I don't think we should put up with a society well, but, in which uh, income inequality where, uh, grows without bound. Anyway, it, it, well, so what else? Uh, I mean, have we talked about? Do you have a view on statues? I, Gladstone. Uh, I, I, but, they toppled my, the statue of Gladstone because his father owned slaves. Do you think that's going that's to, ridiculous? But uh, you know, if this actual statue of Robert E. Lee or a Confederate general. Or using the Confederate flag, I'm amazed that people got away with that for as long as they did. I think I've said, you know, I, I was sort of like always thinking, why don't the blacks get pissed off by this? And they finally did. And I think uh, you should say, okay, you're right. We'll put the statues in a museum. We'll stop flying the Confederate flag. Obviously, some people will, but uh, you know, officially, we won't do that. And uh, and that's fine. But let's you know, don't go berserk and start. Uh, Blaming people for their parents, and there, there's, there's one, uh, there's one, uh, you know, uh, abolitionist whose statue they defaced because they figured if they have a statue of him, he must be a slave owner, and he wasn't. So yes, and I think you could also do things that overcome sins, like Churchill had a lot of sins, but uh, you know, he more than made up for them. He fought fascism. The. Uh you know, I was surprised to find that at some point in the past, uh, I don't know when, but, um, years and years ago, I guess, my, the arch rival of my high school, 
I went to Douglas MacArthur High School. I went to two public schools that were named after Douglas MacArthur, by the way. In such esteem is he held in Texas. But uh, that aside, our arch rival was Robert E. Lee. And if you'll just permit one more digression, if you're curious as to who made the two free throws in 1975 that sealed the defeat of our arch rival Robert E. Lee, I could fill you in on that. Uh-huh. Apparently you have no interest, so never mind. But anyway, they had changed. I mean, the, the name is still Lee, but now they, they dropped the Robert E. part and came up with some acronym that L-E-E, <laughs> like learning education or something. That's happening all over the country. It's great. But I think more of these uh, high schools should be named after Barbara Lee. Sometimes they're named after, diff- they're renamed after a different Lee. They just they just named them after differently. Barbara Lee was a eighty war congresswoman. Yeah, she's like I think the one person just who voted, one of the very few 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 people who voted against the Iraq War, right? Isn't or, that because she's a crazy left winger? All the more reason to name many schools after her. Um. Uh. Anyway, so so I'm 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 not going to. I think conservatives should beat a a. Uh, a, a controlled retreat on statues. Trump is not doing that. What do you think in general about the way he's... Hand- and also, what about his uh, his theory about the guy in Buffalo, the 75-year-old guy? Well, I went back and looked at that before, <laughs> and it's very odd. He does... He's very insistent at going at the cops. He's going quite quickly, yeah. and he touches them. And he futzes with them, and cops do not like to be futzed with. Okay, and the guy shoves him, and he doesn't shove him that hard. But the and the guy topples in the way you fall when you're faking a foul in basketball. Oh my God, I've been hit. Okay, but then he causes huge which, injury. Which brings to himself. us back to the 1975 game between. Oh, never mind. <laughs> but it, it um it causes this huge injury. So maybe it, it's it's a mystery, but it, like many, <laughs> Mickey, like many, I'm going to give you a chance to walk this back, man. Like Look, no, it it, 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 you're going to convict that guy of of the cop of some horrible assault. He he shouldn't do that for a guy that old. If the guy was 20 years old, right. it would be completely reasonable. Mickey, some of what you're saying, I said last time we talked. Okay, okay. What I didn't say was, hey, it did look like he was faking it. Now I will say. What what was weird? The fall I mean, looked theatrical. Maybe it wasn't theatrical. It looked theatrical. The That's guy was gave... bleeding from his ear after it. Now you don't think he had some kind of capsule planted no. in his ear, do you? No, no. But that that's what makes it impossible. Yeah, but if you that fake was... a fall, your head doesn't snap back and make an audible noise when it hits the concrete. You keep your head from impacting the concrete. But the, in a, anybody, in a... nobody falls like that. You crumple. You protect yourself. You fold. <laughs> You Mickey, don't stay completely vertical. It was weird. It was I'm just trying it was to just keep totally you weird. safe from the cultural revolution. There are people with torches outside man. your apartment right now. You're not helping. I'm a dead man already. Now let really? me say, but let me say something about that. So, no, the the thing you're missing though. I mean, I think Trump is nuts. Uh, well, here's a question. Well, that's a different question. Well, that, but that's an interesting question. But first, let me say that the other thing about that video is, if you're Trump. And want to fan the flames of this conspiracy theory. The guy's holding a smartphone. You didn't see that in his right hand. He's holding a smartphone. I didn't know what it was. And if you, I think it's a smartphone, but if you, if you kind of use your imagination, you can imagine that he's scanning the cops with it, like moving it over their, 
uh, bodies or something because that's part of the conspiracy theory, right? He was like trying to to yeah, that's, but that steal that some electronic code. But that didn't. I couldn't figure out what the hell he was doing. He didn't seem to be. He did move it, I think, from one cop to the other, but it didn't look like he was scanning. And that's. I, okay. I don't know. Why would he want to scan two cops out of a hundred? I mean, it makes no sense at all. No, but do you think Trump? Uh, actually believes this or is fanning the flames or what? I mean, it's, it would be more alarming. In, I think he thinks it's interesting, like the Scarborough theory and 10, 10% interest factor. There, there's some little 10% thing there that gives him a toehold to speculate. And he, uh, he thinks it's interesting. He thinks it helps him and, he, and he's having fun. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a, I think he's genuinely fascinated by the possibility okay so i'm going to bring this back to uh james bennett if you don't mind i mean this is this is something i was thinking about talking about like so so last week i said like if you look at that video it seems to me i mean what happened was the cops had just been ordered to do the sweep they had probably warned people over a loudspeaker. We're going to sweep the plaza. The cars, the, the cops were walking together in a line in unison. They had just started walking and right. to, to sweep the place. The guy runs up and, you know, obviously if you're a cop, you don't want to get stymied at this point. You're trying to do right. a sweep. So the two cops, I thought one of them pushed him a little harder than you really should push a 75 year old, but the other cop just kind of puts his baton up with two hands and kind of, I think more lightly shoves him, but he in turn is pushed by, I think his superior officer from behind, which probably imparts further force. Anyway, my point was neither of them meant to push him to the ground. And, and, and and I thought it was being described in a misleading way. Now, also, if you look at the video from the other angle, all the cops at that point stop in horror and say, what the fuck just happened? And they're all very concerned, actually. And the cop with the baton gets down to help him. And then he is pushed along by his superior officer who seems to be radioing for an ambulance. Okay. It's, I mean, he's radioing for something and then the video ends, but the way it was described was they walked past a bleeding man. I don't think we know that. Anyway, the, the connection to the, the, the James Bennett insurrection. Which again seemed to emanate largely from the news side of the the news staff, even though nominally they have nothing at all to do with his side of the newspaper. Um, and I was listening to our favorite podcast, The Daily, and um, it was about the cops and the protests. And as usual, Michael Barbaro is is uh, is interviewing a Times reporter. I think her name was Ali Watkins, and. Uh, she, and it was, it was not, I mean, as much trouble as we gave him last time we talked about this, and as much as in, in some ways I don't like the podcast, it was kind of illuminating. Uh, I learned something about how things escalated with the police in New York. But anyway, then she describes this Buffalo thing. And I do think this points to the way a lot of reporters now conceive of their job, which is just different from 30 years ago. Um, the way this ends is she's talking about this Buffalo incident, okay? And in the old days, a reporter, you know, remember, these two cops were indicted, okay? They weren't just, like, disciplined. They faced charges. They could go right. to jail for years. And when they came out of the courthouse, there were supportive police who applauded them. Now, Also, also 57 people have quit the special squad yeah. that they were on, 57 cops. 
Now, it's, it's, it's not, there. it doesn't take that imagination to understand what may be going on in the minds of the cops who are plotting them. For reasons we've described, they're thinking, hey, that could be me. These right. guys were just doing their job. They, they had a guy right behind them telling them to do right. it. Right. And then a bad thing happened and they're going to go to jail. So, right. so it doesn't, you don't have to have a huge amount of moral imagination to understand the perspective. But the way this was handled on the daily podcast is, she says, I wrote this down because it was so striking. She says, we all saw this really jarring video of two police officers, sh- officers shoving this elderly protesters to the ground. And then she says, and even despite so many people seeing this video and the public backlash, those two officers walked out of court. This woman's a straight news reporter. Okay, yeah. she's covering this stuff. Okay, yeah. she says, even despite so many people seeing this video and the public backlash, those two officers walked out of court after being charged, and there were dozens of fellow officers outside applauding them. And I think that scene just really captures how difficult it's going to be to have lasting change to policing in this country. End of sentence, and then the dramatic music plays, and that's the end of it. It's clearly like this editorial comment. And look, I'm not even passing judgment on this at all. I'm really not. I'm just saying, when we were young, when we were children, back when I was a boy, and when we were in our 20s and 30s and 40s, the job of a New York Times reporter would have been to say, Here's how the protesters are looking at it. Here's how the police are looking at it. Here's what they say when you ask them why they're looking at it this way. You were supposed to actually illuminate the two perspectives. Right. And this and reporter we're... seems unable to, to, to even do the mental exercise of making the obvious leap and, and understanding what the cops well, are thinking. But when we were writing for the New Republic, you could easily see us come, coming up with that exact same tag because it is true that Police unions are very strong. Police solidarity is very strong. And that one of the major obstacles to, to, you know, disciplining police is the power of police unions. Uh, and so. Fine. What she said isn't, what she said isn't crazy. Well, no, but she's not, she doesn't even mention the unions. What she's clearly saying is that they're identifying with these officers. Look, Mickey, even if there were no unions in this case, you would expect police officers to look at that and go yeah. there, but for the grace of God, right, go sure. I, even if I'm not a bad cop, sure, this could sure. just happen. Yeah. And again, I'm not even defending it. I thought the one cop pushed him too hard. The other cop, it's not so clear from the video, but it's just definitely not clear that this is some kind of yeah. uh, malicious, you know, thing. And I'm just saying that, you know, she's not even talking about, she's just saying she is aghast that the cops could not see this the way she's seeing it. That's the, what I think. The trend, yeah, the trend, the trend you're describing is completely true. It's been happening for decades. I claim ever since Pinch Salzberger took over the Times, you could see it happening. He sort of gave people permission. That's the to father be more, of the current Salzberger who, right, who fired. The son, right. Yeah. The, the, he, he's, um, his father was called Punch. He was called Pinch. He hated that nickname. I'm trying to come up with a P, you, uh, nickname for the current guy, A.G. Salzberger. I claim pushover. Uh, you have a moose? It's a moose. I'm just showing you the moose. Uh, the punch Salzberger, no, the pinch pin- Salzberger memorial moose. Okay, there you go. Um, uh, it's designed to signify the important issue where that we, we're trying to. We're going to talk about the elephant in the room. That for some right, reason he chose right. a moose to signify that. Right. Um, but but uh, and that's what we're talking about. So continue. But this isn't the elephant in the room. This is just. Uh, no, so I talked. The about question the is: 
The old times theory of he said, she said was boring. And the new rule of like, we're just, uh, you know, we go all out for the cause and give everything a, a, a twist in the direction we want it to go is bad. And the question is, is there any sort of happy medium or is it just one or the other? And I guess I sort of think there is a happy medium. It's, uh, people, people who have some idea of nuance and empathy and can, can put themselves in the other person's shoes. And then they, they want to do a final paragraph saying, in the end, the cops have to give way. That's fine, but they have to sort of ventilate the, yeah. ventilate both sides. And, uh, the Times is not headed in that direction. And it, it, you know, it's, it's part of the, the revelation of Twitter is that all these reporters have strong opinions. They're not neutral and their opinions are often stupid. Okay. They, they're a lot, they, it turns out they're a lot more like the, not that they're stupid, but they're just average. They have the opinions the same way everybody else is. They're no more sophisticated than the average person on the street and they have no business telling you what to think. So, uh, I think those people are now in charge and they're, they're adopting the, the ultra, the, the more propagandistic version of the, of the evolution you describe. And I think that's a very bad thing. I agree. Um, but, let me- I- yeah. Well, I, I want to say a little more about this, but go ahead. But how, okay. I, I, this is, I, I, I looked at the Washington Post video of the, uh, of the Lafayette Square clearing. It was a very, it was inc- very useful, very informative, had a whole bunch of things I didn't realize. But at the beginning, they described, somebody described it as the, 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 uh, the most, uh, you know, the vicious act of violence ever captured on film. It's not the most vicious act of violence ever captured on film. In fact, you mean the, the cameraman being punched or what? No, the whole video. The cameraman. I looked at the video. If it's the same incident, it looked to me like the cameraman was not punched. He was hit with the shield. First the shield, not, then he, the punch. First the shield. Okay, then I the didn't punch. see the punch. Okay, they didn't put the punch in. It is. It, it, it was very interesting. I just thought they exaggerated. They have to pretend that everything is the greatest of all time. It's like the most violence we've ever captured on film. It wasn't, you know, it was yeah. not that. No, and I don't think it was that. But I think that was, one moment that the shield, the bashing with the shield followed by the punch, same cop doing it, um, was about the most gratuitous thing I saw. In other words, it, with most of these things, it's like. Well, I'd have to see how this whole ruckus started before I'd know whether if I were a cop, I'd be that aggressive, you know. But with this, it was like, you see, when they start marching, you see that this cameraman is not resisted, is resisting. He's just parked on the side. It's where he is. What are you, what are you supposed to do if you're a cop? There are five people in front of you. One of them has a press pass. You push the four back and you say, Oh, you have a press pass. Well, you can come behind our lines. No, no, you just say, move along, dude. No, you move him. You tell him to move. Instead of just punching him first, you what just if he tell doesn't him to move. move. What if he hides in a corner? Well, and... we'll cross that bridge when we come to well, it. Well, that's but they clearly what he was that. doing. He was what? hiding behind a pillar. He was he was not to... hiding. He was he was sitting down with the camera, filming what was going on. He wasn't. He was not going to move. He was not moving. What do you know? He did move when the when the other cop the other cop restrained the violent cop and just signaled to mm-hmm. the guy move along, and the guy moved along. Oh, okay. Now, um, anyway, the, I had some other lessons from that but go ahead with what you were going to say uh well let me just to close uh, on the on the on the reporting thing you use the term empathy i'm not asking for empathy in the sense of feeling their pain just cognitive empathy perspective taking it's an important skill and you know 
when I, I actually worked at a newspaper, small newspaper in my twenties, and the 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 sensibility of the reporters in those days. Of course, it was local politics, which isn't as ideological as national politics. But the sensibility of the reporters was just, you know, equal opportunity cynicism. We viewed all politicians cynically and with a certain kind of bemused attachment. And it was a very it was a very healthy attitude. And uh, I think it's one that. Uh, Journalists could stand to. Um, you can't. You can't have a cynical attitude. Black Lives Matter, Bob, or you got canceled. Well, yeah, well, all I mean by cynical is, you assume all people are people. They are responding to the motivational structure that is part of human nature. They would like status. They would like influence. They don't want to be mocked by people in their blah blah blah. There's just. There's just. You know. It, it, it's. Uh, and and then the other thing I wanted to say about uh, and by the way, you you were saying, well, we worked at an opinion magazine, and you can be objective and work in an opinion magazine. I really think Mike Kinsley was a very unusual editor in the extent to which he encouraged intellectual honesty while working in an ideological magazine. I don't think there are that many ideological magazines that pay that much uh, respect to intellectual honesty and and a certain kind of objectivity. Anyway. The other thing, just quickly, on the Salzburgers, I mean, maybe it's just me, but the irony, when supposedly the the the, uh, the ultimate enemy of all of this is, is white privilege, I mean, the guy left standing as a Salzburger? I mean, give me a break. I mean, this guy, you think this guy would have his job if he weren't born to a Salzburger who was born to a Salzburger who, you know, I mean, this is, I mean, James Bennett at least earned his, his job. He, he was actually qualified for it. Actually, Salzburger seems such a pushover that may, I think you have an outside chance of actually convincing him to renouncing his job on the basis of uh, that he's too privileged. And Obviously, the family is not going to relinquish the job, but he could step down and just become a reporter and let the family appoint somebody else. He, I mean, you know, why there's no, I, I've gotten so, I've written a, uh, tweeted a little about this and we talked about this last week and I've gotten a few encouraging signs from Times reporters that they sort of agree that there is a danger that, uh, it'll go from saying no wrong opinions to no wrong facts. And, uh, but why should they stick their necks out and defend this as a couple have? Mm-hmm. Uh, but why should Mort not do that when the, the leader, Salzberger, is such a wimp and he's obviously not going to have their back? Uh, so screw that. Keep your head down. Some have. Uh, you know, Michael I, Powell, sports reporter. Powell, Powell is, the, is, the, is the most obvious one that I know of, yeah. People can check out my interview with him about his book on Native American on basketball on the Navajo Reservation if really? you would like. Yeah. You're Great like book. You're like Zelig. You have an interview with everybody. I'll tell you. It's been going like on the, for 15 years. You're like the 2,000-year-old man. Knew him, I vented him. I had him on my podcast. I, I want to be like Terry Gross, where whenever anyone dies, she can just take the day off and run do run an interview <laughs> she's already run done with him. Um, so... But what does this have to do with James Bennett? You said this was going to be about James Bennett. Um, what does it have to do? It's well, just about the, just, it's just just that, about the, I mean, I mean, it just seems like 
ironic that in a crusade against privilege, I mean, not that, I don't mean that James, like, was born in the projects, but, but compared to Salzburg, I mean, <clears throat> James at least arose to a reason, you know, came to where he was to a reasonably meritocratic, uh, whatever you, look, we're all, anyone who has done well is in a certain sense the, you know, beneficiary of privilege, but I'm just saying that the guy who fired him, if, right. okay. is, right. is, is, is the epitome of pure privilege and nothing else. Well, it'd be interesting if anybody at the Times has the balls to make that argument to Salzburg's uh, face. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised I do. I mean, it's only because I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, uh, I, I don't plan on ever working again, writing op eds ever, ever again. Um, the anyway, the the. the that video was interesting of the Lafayette Square. It, it taught me a couple things. The most, one of which is the protesters were mainly nonviolent. Uh, they threw some stuff, but you got the, just from hearing what they were saying in the background, they were not the violent people who had been there the night before were not the people that were there that afternoon. Uh, so that the, the, the left is right about that. On the other hand, uh, I hadn't realized that. The police had already taken Lafayette Square. There, this was, there was so never, wasn't the square that was being cleared. No, the de- demonstrators were never in the square. They were on the street around the square. Well, then why were the park police doing it? The only because the church is not in the square; it's across the street from the square. So they were expanding the perimeter to include the church, which basically just meant crossing the street for one building. Okay, but you have to push away the crowd that was on on the street behind next to the park. You have to push them and, and, and create access to the building. And in fact, they pushed them out a little bit, but it wasn't a big deal. Okay. It's, it's, it, I don't quite understand why they couldn't just say, look, you can have, and they weren't trying to squash the demonstration, you know, a, a real Gestapo fascist, super unconstitutional first amendment rises. You're having this demonstration. We're going to disperse you and kill your demonstration. They were, didn't really want, they weren't trying to do that. They just wanted to move them out like a hundred feet in either direction. I don't well, quite yeah, understand why used- that. But Why, they used no, the used, rubber bullets with pepper yeah, spray. Yeah, no, no, they Nikki. shouldn't have done that. I agree. Well, okay, they did, uh, no, though. So it but, was more like dispersing the thing. If you're in a demonstration well, they, they, they and you stop. can't breathe because of the gas, it seems a lot like they're trying to disperse they, the but demonstration. But then they stopped. But then they stopped. Well, but yes, good. they should. They and, they shouldn't. They shouldn't have used those things. But all I'm saying is I don't understand why this whole thing couldn't have been negotiated. Of course, Say, well, that's the whole point. That's why there is the widespread suspicion that Trump wanted a show of force. I don't think he wanted a show. And then the third. And why didn't lesson, they wait 20 minutes the for curfew to is, take effect? The third lesson is uh, we don't really know that Trump ever knew that the square was being cleared for his visit to the church because they were planning to clear it earlier in the day and logistic for lo- stupid logistical reasons, including that so many officers had been injured the night before that they couldn't get enough officers. Uh, they had waited to, to, to clear this extra bit. Uh, and then at the last minute, they said, oh, my God, Trump's coming out. We don't dare tell him that uh, that he has to postpone his walk to the church until the curfew, or we don't dare postpone the walk to the church, so we have to clear them out now. It was sort of a, a, a reaction of, of Barr, mainly, but also of the cops. But it's not even clear that Trump knew that this had happened. Well, he we don't, he we don't have access to he, their but, internal but, communications. Well, we don't usually, know what he ordered. Usually, right, but usually there's reporting or if, if this is a, a key fact, what did he know and when did he know it, that hasn't been reported in yeah, the press. Yeah, but this wouldn't be something he said like at a cabinet meeting. This would be something he said to Barr. I mean, I just think we'll never know. Well, right, a, but 
I have a question. In, in, this, in the cinema version, Trump says, clear those protesters out. I want my photo op. Okay, that didn't happen. Well, he has the opportunity oh, to, to tell us if he's not happy with what happened, and he certainly hasn't said that. But the um, uh, here's a question. You know, it's been very notable that Defense Secretary Esper, you know, a week ago said, I'm not in favor of invoking the Insurrection Act, which, you know, uh, pissed Trump off. More recently, I mean, Milley, first of all, kind of leaked that he didn't know what that he was part of this photo op. But but really notably, within the last couple of days, of course, he just said, I shouldn't have done that. It was a mistake. We should keep a clear line between military and domestic politics. You know, that pissed Trump off. My question is, I mean, these are really notable things. And do you think to some extent it this reflects their perception that Trump is at this point a sinking ship? Yes. And, and the annoying thing is the way they always, when they do this, they always sort of go whole hog for the anti-Trump line. It's sort of incoherent to say the military can't be involved in politics because the military was involved in desegregating schools. That was politics. It was a perfectly appropriate role for them to play. You can argue that this is inappropriate. You can't argue that there's no, that there's a bright line here that we're hewing. No. Uh, it, it's Millie could have said, look, this was a, what he's sort of trying to avoid, I guess, is to say, look, this was a stupid use of military force, which it was. And I shouldn't have let myself involved, be involved in this stupid use of military force. Instead, he has to say all uses of military force are wrong. Well, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He said, he said military should not be involved in politics. Well, I think it was a little vaguer than that. And and I think what he's thinking is, first of all, we were not talking. I mean, I mean, one thing he was referring to is the fact, I think, I think one thing's going on in his head is like, look, the president you're engaging in this show of force with is this creepy guy who's shown us time and time again he has no respect for various norms. Now, Mickey, your view is he doesn't, for whatever reason, have the wherewithal to actually become Mussolini. Fine. No, I said he, he doesn't shown have the impulse. Contempt for he doesn't have the drive American to become. He doesn't have principles. the drive okay, to become Mussolini. I mean, you compare him to Eisenhower. Uh, you know, I happened to hear uh, the part of the speech Eisenhower gave when he explained why he was sending the troops to Arkansas. It was a thing of beauty. It really was. Because, you know, Arkansas, uh, I mean, Eisenhower himself, I don't think he supported uh, the desegregation ruling in his heart. I think he was against desegregation. But he did exactly what a president should do, which is he came out and he explained why. And he didn't say whether he supported it or not. He just said, my duty is to enforce the law. It, it, it is so much more eloquent and principled than anything I believe oh, Trump yeah. has said since becoming president that, that you know, and, and this is one reason these people are distancing themselves from Trump. It, it's not just because, but, you know, it's because of who is president. It's a creepy, look, dangerous guy. But look at it. Look at it another way. They had a debate over whether to invoke the Insurrection Act. Okay. Yep. Trump clearly had the power to invoke the Insurrection Act. There's a Supreme Court case that says he has the power, mm-hmm. um, uh, whether the governor likes it or not. Okay. Some people supported it. Esper and other people opposed it. Trump sided with Esper. He did not invoke the Insurrection Act. Okay. And he, he actually wound up in a fairly reasonable position, which is you governors get it together uh, or else I'll invoke the Insurrection Act. And in fact, Either the governors got it together or the the looting and rioting went away 
There's no question that he's not going to invoke the Insurrection Act now. So, you know, all's well that end well. He did not. He agreed with Esper. What's Esper so pissed off about? No, I don't think he agreed with him. I think arguably Esper helped create a political environment in which it wouldn't have been practical for Trump to invoke the act. Now, granted, the protest did die down shortly thereafter, so we may never know. But I think Esper actually made it harder for Trump to do. By and that was what he was what Esper wanted to do. What by by because there's all by what by standing up and saying I'm the Secretary of Defense and I do not support invoking that was the insurrection. Long act. After that was long after the moment had passed to invoke the insurrection. Act. Oh, I don't think so. No, things were still pretty wild. The moment passed within eight hours of them making the decision. I think, next, I, think it's, night, I think it was fluid up until night, a couple of that days night ago. Was peaceful. I think we've had. I, I think it was fluid long thereafter, and I don't think. Uh, I don't think it's over in the sense that I. I, I think uh, just the general political situation is volatile enough. I mean, for example, we've we've apparently, as as you said, as I said, I think we may have armed people, uh, you know, in in uh, in the People's Republic of Seattle. Uh, who let knows what record, happened there? Let the record show that you're the one who said that. I I think I've seen a video of one armed person, but um, well, that's okay. But but what I'm saying, but suppose uh, some armed Trump supporters decide to put their foot down, their feet down. I'm just saying it could be a a, a roller coaster. Of a, of a five months between now and the election. And now we haven't said anything about the pandemic and we're already over time. Um, what's there to say? The we were, we're plateauing at a fairly high and not very acceptable rate of. Well, the, the new, the new cases, uh, rate has actually plateaued. It was going down. Now it's level. And the stock market got scared yesterday that there's enough evidence of, uh, the epidemic reigniting that, uh, there should be a lot of stock selling. But, um, and there's some states like Texas that are having yeah. a bad uh, spike in infections. Arizona also. So, um, uh, yeah, but there, there, there's not all that much to say. Okay. Uh, there, the, the, the WHO did continue to cover itself with glory by issuing a, 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 a unnecessarily vague statement that asymptomatic individuals did not seem to be a major source of spreading it with the whole basis for the lockdowns is that asymptomatic individuals are spreading it. And, uh, they failed to distinguish between pre-symptomatic. It wasn't, it wasn't a statement. She was speaking impromptu and she said that. And then she later clarified that the way she's using asymptomatic is to not include pre-symptomatic. There clearly is pre-symptomatic spreading. She's talking about people who never, have symptoms, but anyway, it wasn't a statement they issued. She was speaking off the cuff. She sh- maybe she shouldn't, but it wasn't like a press release. Okay, she shouldn't. She shouldn't. We agree. Uh, uh, defund the WHO. Uh, by Build which you it. actually mean find things that other agencies could do that the WHO does, right? No, build a new one. It's very hard to reform an organization. You have tenured people, and you have to get rid of them one by one. This. Get rid of them all and start a new one. We we've had a little bit of this argument. This is we, we don't want to start this at, a, at an hour and thirty five minutes into our conversation. Let me quickly say, I was wrong to say we have banned Huawei from using Android. What we've done is 
a government is, doesn't allow them, has precluded their use of Google services, which means the Play Store, which means as a practical matter, it's kind of, their their version of Android is pretty worthless. So that that's what we've done. To, but I'm going to defy the government, and I think I'm going to buy a Huawei smartphone. You can still get the, the P30 is not, uh, last year's Huawei is not affected by this. And I think as a, sh- uh, as a, a show of my fidelity to the resistance, I think I'm going to get a Huawei smartphone, Mickey. I think. Why can't you monetize? You're the you're like the most legitimate defender of China. In you know, you should be able to get some money from China for this. Hey, hadn't thought about that. You know, I I was wondering. My Twitter followers were growing faster than made sense for a few weeks. And it was after I'd started writing about China and a number of them were kind of suspicious. Like they have two followers and their name is like Joe Smith or something. And I wondered like, is it a bunch of Chinese bots? But then Twitter did this purge of Chinese bots and my follower count didn't go down much. So Mickey, uh, you are just not into speaking of monetizing. You're just not into this, us doing this, uh, Patreon thing for our, uh, our, our wildly popular podcast? The Patreon thing is, is, it, uh, some people said I missed, some people who wrote in said I misunderstood it. The, the, the Patreon thing is, is people give us money and then we can do whatever we want or they, people they, give us they money make a for monthly the podcast. Commitment. They make a monthly commitment, but they can just cancel any time. So if we quit doing the podcast, they're like, screw you and they quit giving us money. As I said, but why aren't they like why aren't they like AOL subscribers and they'll forget that this four dollars a month is being deducted from their Mickey, account? That's our secret plan. We don't say that out loud, okay? <laughs> it seems very unfair to expect people to remember. Oh, I forgot to cancel blogging heads. Now here's um, what here's what Scarlett says. By the way, who was commented? I think on uh, YouTube. Set up the Patreon. I don't think I read this last week. Did I? Set up the Patreon. People give money monthly. You produce weekly or monthly content. We realize Mickey has a fear of commitment, but Patreon isn't really much of a commitment because if you want to stop doing it, you simply end it. Then people's cards are no longer billed. You could also have Zoom chats with your patrons. It's not mandatory, by the way, but Bill and Matt uh, of uh, DMZ are doing that, by the way. Uh, A podcast I recommend. How much Uh, money are we talking about here? Jillions. Okay, she, uh, Scarlett goes on. I assume most of your clientele who would actually pay would be educated, respectful people. Here she may have erred. In any event, and she goes on. Another nice thing about Patreon is your viewers get a community. I'm a few years older than the 25-year-old. Yeah, so I mentioned 25-year-old last time, so this must be a new one. I'm a few years older than the 25-year-old, but I'd pay also. So... She said, this is the thing I want to focus on. Patreon, you know, nice thing about Patreon is your viewers get a community. So think about this as something we're doing for them, not something they're doing for us. I mean, yes, it involves us getting money. We're willing to bear that burden, but we're doing it so they can have a community. That's the worst possible way to put it. That means I owe something to a community that I didn't owe before. So I'm trapped by these webs of, of obligation to a bunch of people. Who, who, uh, you know, who, who I would love to, uh, you know, love to do things that, that they would be willing to pay for, but I don't want to feel trapped that I owe them, owe them You're because they paid me money. You're not trapped. You don't have to produce any exclusive to Patreon content, but we could 
every once in a while go even further than dissing the publisher of the New York Times. Mm. I mean, imagine what it's like when we, you and I are just talking alone. If we do that in public, imagine I how think wild I over, it is. I think I actually went over the line a couple of times in this. This, I, this, I think I may have gone over the line. This bucket, so but as I I'm said, not sure how much further I want to go. But um, no, the good it, news is that you will be claimed by the Cultural Revolution before I am. So I will, at that point, I will welcome our new woke overlords as soon as you go down in flames. I think I'm dragging you down with me, boy. There is that view. That's why I would like to at least make some money off of this before. Um, <laughs> uh, so I just called you boy. Sorry about that. <laughs> See, that's Buddy. a good. It's a good example of some. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. Um. So. Oh, finally, thank you to those. You know, last time at the end we said, "Hey, if anybody's still watching, click the like button on YouTube." If you're watching on YouTube, I can tell by the number of likes and the number of people we're still watching, and it made a difference. It brought more people to our uh, the YouTube thing, and uh, and so it's all getting better and better. It pleases the algorithm. Pleases the algorithm. It's all pleases about, it's all us. About, pleases it's all about, us. We like to all see about likes. Pleasing the algorithm and pleasing us. Gotta please it, the which algorithm. is ultimately about building community. Um, I'm for social equality. It's not clear that I'm for community, but I guess community is okay. I, I would call it part of, yeah, almost entailed in the notion of social equality. Not okay, really. So, th- so this is the point at which You'd we be surprised. Which even before I click stop record, we start having second thoughts about whether we went too far right. That's what my brain is doing. I I, I think we should stop before. Okay, let's just do that Actually, privately. That's what people will pay for. Exactly. We'll have go. the second thoughts where we retract things. We'll have to the, pay to see us retract things. The endless neurotic recriminations. That'll that'll be good. Yeah. What's that French term? Means top of the staircase. Esprit d'escalier. Precisely. Okay, do you have anything else you want to say? Nope. Okay, I guess we'll see you next time. Okay. See ya.